If you could help me first by praying over the word tonight, that would be, I would appreciate that. Lord, I thank you for those of us that are here, and I pray that our ears would be open to hear your voice. I do believe that you want to speak to us. I pray tonight that you would fill my mouth with your words, that I would speak things that are ordained of you and that you want me to say. I pray help us, Lord, during this time to find purpose and calling, oh God, as you would desire us to do. We want to be a body that is fitly formed together and fulfilling the work that you've called us to do here at the refuge. We thank you again for meeting us here already. We pray that you'd continue to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our adult Sunday school class, um, we have been talking a little bit about Well, we've been talking about the Kings, which if you were in here on Sunday morning and then you were in here for Sunday afternoon service, I just want you to know that me and my husband do not talk about the things that we're going to talk about. Um, But they do seem to go well together. Isn't that like the Lord? Maybe I'm the only one that thinks so, but I thought, well, my goodness, he's right right there with me. Um, But we've been talking about um, finding scriptures of promise and adopting them as our own. So I've kind of made the challenge for the class Um, to do that. So it would be easy for me to give you a list and you can just figure out the ones you like, but it's a lot more meaningful when you are reading your Bible and you find the scripture that just jumps out to you and feeds your soul. It's kind of like when you fix yourself a meal and you're really proud of it and you're happy that it tastes good, right? So you, you, you feed yourself the word of God. So making a challenge for us to find scriptures that have promise, And so I'm going to read a couple of scriptures of promise to you, not a whole bunch. I'm going to read one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. So Isaiah 43, 2 says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That is a powerful scripture of promise, and when you are in a dark place or a place where you need, you can quote that out loud, and it can be strength to you. It can be breath to you when you feel lifeless, and I want to claim that scripture of promise, right? I want to memorize it. I want to know it so that I can quote it. Here's another one in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Have you ever thought that scripture or quoted that scripture or prayed that scripture or prayed knowing that that scripture promised you an answer? So you've read probably, maybe not the first one, but definitely that second one. We're familiar with it. And we've claimed them as our own. And we know that they're going to encourage us and strengthen us in the moment that we need them. And we are very quick sometimes to apply scriptures of promise and blessing to our lives, right? But what about scriptures that are calling us to action? Or scriptures that ask something of us that might disrupt our regularly scheduled life? We're a little bit quicker to like breeze past those or be like, who exactly was the writer talking to? Oh, good. He was not talking to me. He was only talking to the people in Rome at the time, right? Not me. But that is not the case at all. <laughs> there, the Bible is packed full of scriptures that are talking directly to us, calling us into action. So here's a couple of those for you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, and you know, if I'm going to be teaching, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture. So... I have nothing better to say, right? 
So, and that's okay. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And you're like, Sister Brown, that's still one of those promise scriptures. Like I'm going to claim that as an encouragement, but keep going. Okay. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're given this promise that we have been saved through faith, that, you know, there's nothing we could do to receive it, that it's a gift from the Lord. And then we are told that there are things prepared for us to do. We are called to do something. Romans 8, 28 tells us, and we know that in all things, God's, God works for the good of those who love him. Again, you probably quote that scripture as a scripture of promise. It's okay. It's all going to work out because God works all things out for the good to those who've loved him. And the next part of the verse, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, the word purpose tells me that I am called into action, into something more than just being still, right? There is a purpose for me. And so while this scripture is a scripture of promise, it's telling us we are called into some sort of action that may at some point make us uncomfortable. We're called or we're appointed to or we're invited to. God is inviting us into a place of purpose, and that purpose means that it is, the literal translation, when you look in the Bible, that we place it before other things. So the purpose that we're called to should be placed before other things. So I just want to talk a little bit tonight about how our role plus our call equals purpose. There's a little play on words like role, call, purpose. You get it. You got to be here. Um, I'm not as good at that as my husband. But we have a purpose, and it's important that we know it and that we set it before other things. So I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and I'll kind of skip through it a little bit. But it says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There is a lot to unpack in that verse. We don't really have time to unpack it, but for a moment, just look. That we are to keep loving one another earnestly. That we are to show hospitality without grumbling. Now, sometimes we leave the without grumbling out. Like, we showed the hospitality. Must I really not complain about it? Yes, you're not supposed to complain about it. So, as each one received a gift, we're supposed to use our giftings to serve one another. If you have a gift or a talent... It is given to you to serve one another, to serve your neighbor. Why? Because we are to be good stewards of the grace that we have received from the Lord. It's only because of his grace that you have the talent or the gifting that you have anyway. It is totally from the Lord. So we're supposed to speak as though we are speaking from God. We're supposed to serve as though we are serving by the strength that he's given us. Because we are. 
Now, the book of 1 Peter, and this little portion that I read is just a small portion of this kind of message in this vein. But the, this book of 1 Peter is such a great example of how there is a call to serve, a call to fulfill our purpose that extends beyond who you might expect. Like, it is not just speaking to our pastor. It is not just speaking to the ministers in our church or others who you might obviously think of that you see working in the church week in and out, teaching or singing. It's not just speaking to who you might expect. But I'm going to read a list from 1 Peter throughout it, and it tells you who he was writing to. And you can acknowledge if it applies to you. It says that he was writing to those who are born again, to those that are called to be holy, to those desiring to be mature Christians, which the opposite of that would be to be an immature Christian. I didn't know if I needed to state that, but... He's writing to those who belong to God, those who submit to authority, family, work, occupation, or spiritual. He's writing to those who have suffered. He's writing to wives. He's writing to husbands. And he's writing those who, to those who seek to live in the will of God. That is who Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, literally wrote down, I didn't make that list up. I searched that list out in 1 Peter. And that is who he acknowledges throughout the book. And it is written to command us to use our gifts to serve one another, as the scripture we read said, showing that we're good stewards of his grace. So let's just go ahead before I move forward and establish that we fall somewhere in that category and each one of us are called to use our gifting. So if you go back to 1 Peter, we'll go to chapter 2, verse 9, you're going to know this one, right? You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are without a doubt called. So what are you called to? Ask somebody that. What are you called to? You don't have to give them an answer. First, we are called to the Great Commission. Each of us. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we are called to the Great Commission. So who was this written for specifically? Who should fulfill the Great Commission? It has been universally understood from generation to generation that Jesus was commissioning his followers. How many are a follower of Jesus? That, that's who should fulfill the Great Commission. That would be us. So as an individual Christian, in John 20, 21, Jesus says to all his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We are sent to fulfill the Great Commission. We are sent into the world to proclaim what Christ has done and to call people in faith to him. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission. Each one of us should evangelize locally and if possible. Now, these are very practical things. And I know that they are, like, it's kind of like stating the obvious. But sometimes I think it takes stating the obvious to kick us into gear to where we do what is obvious. I mean... When the dishes are dirty, it's kind of obvious that they need to be done, but that doesn't mean they're going to get done. <laughs> Maybe at your house. 
My kids haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> but we should evangelize locally, and if possible, we should support the work of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are commissioned to do this. So as a body, that's individually, but as a body, as a local church, in the New Testament, Acts 14, the church of Antioch gives us this example. They commission Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel throughout the region, and Paul and Barnabas established local churches wherever they went. And so this means that local churches, the refuge is a local church, are responsible to raise up, to send out, to support missionaries whose goal is not merely to see individuals come to Christ, but to see local churches established in regions where there are none. I believe that for the Refuge Church, that we are called not to just be here. And we've talked about this. and To see places that have don't yet have the gospel being preached there. We are called to be a part of that. So how can we implement this into our lives individually? We have to be led by the Spirit. Again, seems obvious. First and foremost, we can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. I can do nothing. That is something that I pray every day. Lord, you are the vine. I am the branches. I can't do anything if I'm apart from you. Nothing. We try to do it. We try to do so many things. We try to get so much accomplished, and yet we cannot do it apart from the Lord. Nothing. Even in the secular, even things that seem completely disconnected from the Spirit are connected to the Spirit because we are Spirit-filled. And something happens in us when we try to disconnect from or when we try to go against the will of that Spirit that's in us. When we're not being led by the Spirit, we have to be sensitive to what He's telling us to do and quick to obey it. We have to be ready to hear. Don't you want to be somebody who, in the middle of your job, you can say, Wait a minute, the Lord is speaking to me? Now, you might think then, well, like somebody is going to think I'm crazy, but I want the Lord to have that kind of relationship with me. That at the moment that He speaks to me, I am sensitive enough to stop. And who knows what could happen if I'm at work or if I'm around people that don't know him. If, if I'm able to speak a word into their lives, something just happened there. But unless I'm led by the Spirit, it cannot happen. We have to be willing to allow him to disrupt our daily routine and step out with boldness to follow him. So we have to be led by the Spirit. We have to build relationships and share the good news with those in our sphere of influence. So we have this amazing opportunity to build a reputation of strong character, of integrity, because we're Christians and that's how we should be. And, and we have the opportunity to show that to those around us and build deep relationships with people in our community and in our workspaces and in our families. And here's, here's the thing. Many of us know people who proclaim to be Christians who do not have integrity. And that's just the truth. Or they're not living what the word calls them to live. And so as a spirit-filled believer, there is this opportunity to walk into a room of other people who have found out about Jesus, but haven't quite been, they've not been filled with him yet. 
We have this opportunity to change the atmosphere even there. It's, it's, it's like the story of, um, of Cornelius. There is more to be done. There are so many people that already know Jesus. They've already heard the gospel. But the experience that we've had as Christians is an opportunity for them to know what they should do. There's more for them to do. And so we have to live in a way that they can trust our walk with the Lord. We have to give. So financial giving, that's a great way to participate in the Great Commission. And then another way is our time and talent giving. And this is not a new concept here. But if it is the job of the local church to fulfill the Great Commission, and it is, we've established that, then you are needed to make it happen. What is the local church but a group of believers, individually called to a purpose, which is brought together in a unified body, the body of Christ? So, have you ever taught, anybody ever taught a home Bible study? And I, I won't make you raise your hand. If you haven't, it is really, you should. It's life-changing for you and the person you're teaching it to. But if you've ever taught a home Bible study, probably you did not end with baptizing the person in their pool or their bathtub and then seeing them pray through the Holy Ghost right there in their living room. Maybe, okay, it's only happened one time in all the years that we've taught Bible studies that somebody received the Holy Ghost in their home. One time. Is there more than that? And I've never baptized anybody in their bathtub. It's possible. It happens. And we like to talk about it when it happens. Why? Because it's uncommon. It's surprising. It's a great testimony. But what happens most of the time is that we teach a personal Bible study and then we bring our student to church to experience the power and the presence of God that is hard to facilitate by yourself in their home. Is that true? Right? And so we bring them here where we have a very convenient tub of water where they can be baptized and where there is a place where they can enter freely into the presence of God, where they can find deliverance from things that they might be dealing with. We bring them here to facilitate that. And then what happens? If they're baptized, if they're filled with the Spirit, there is a body of believers ready to help them mature in Christ. We together get to do that. And we are called to do that. Us, the body of Christ. So Hebrews 10, 24 and verse 25, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on, on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. The scripture is telling us we are to meet together because it pushes us to love and to good deeds. Remember the last scripture that we read that talked about the good deeds, how we are called to a purpose already set before, a plan already set before. We are called to be doing good things. And so people who are struggling, what happens 
when you begin to struggle and to battle with something. The easiest thing to do is to isolate, right? And when you isolate, there is no motivation to do the things that God's called you to do or to do the things that the Bible is telling you to do. There's no motivation for that. But when you come into the body of Christ, all of a sudden there is that hope of motivation that I need to do what I've been called to do. I need to fulfill what is happening in my heart and what is happening in my mind. I see somebody that, that how they're going through a struggle and how they're making it through, and I'm encouraged to do the same thing. And why? It's because I have not given up meeting together with the body of Christ. It's not just the new convert that needs the body. We are fitted together, uniquely designated to fulfill the Great Commission in our cities here at the Refuge. Each of us have in this body the opportunity to serve in an area that helps accomplish the Lord's great commission. We are called to be a part of the body in a way that facilitates the continuation of the great commission or disciple making. Somebody might think, I've never won a soul. I've never made a disciple. But I, I challenge you to teach a Bible study. I challenge you to win a soul. But I also want to say that there are people in this room who have facilitated others continuing in their relationship with the Lord because of a lesson that they taught, because of an encouraging word, because of a song that they sang, because of a way that they ministered to that person in conversation. We as the body of Christ are facilitating the Great Commission and discipleship. So again, what part do you, you personally, play in fulfilling this calling? What specifically, as the scripture said, has the Lord prepared for you to do? I'm very glad you asked. I've come with a list tonight. I'm going to call each of your names and then tell you. Just kidding. That is not true. Wouldn't that be easy, though? <laughs> not the truth. Um, actually, what I want to share with you tonight comes from, some of you were really hoping I was telling the truth. You're like, oh, I've been wondering. It's not that easy. Um, so I was able to be a part of a Zoom call just yesterday with Sister Melanie Shock, and some of you may have heard me talk about her. Um, all, her teaching dra drastically changed my life, and so I appreciate the things that she has to say, the opportunities that I have the time to listen to her. So I was very impacted by some clear direction that she gave in this meeting, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, and actually, when I was... In this particular call, I didn't at the time know that I would have the opportunity to share this with you. So I do believe it's something that needs to be shared here. So she shared on the topic of finding your individual calling, she shared these instructions. Number one, she asked the question, what is your life verse? What is your life verse? She said, if you don't have one, get one. It will be a verse that calls to you, a verse that becomes your favorite, a verse that you remember and that you think of often in situations. Now, this connected with me because I knew my life verse. And so I thought to myself, I think I know my husband's life verse. And I asked him if I was correct in thinking 
that, and we don't just go around saying this, it's not written anywhere in our house. Like, I, you know, I just wondered if I was right in what I thought was his life verse, Luke 4, 18. And I was right. He said, yes, it is. I don't even know if you like hesitated. You were like, yes, period. It was a text. So that's what I got out of it. But <laughs> But that scripture, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So that is my husband's life verse. I've heard him say it before almost every tent revival we've ever done. So I know that's his life verse. So I said, what's my life verse? And without hesitation... He said, Psalm 107.20. And I said, yes, that's it. You passed the test. <laughs> and that is simply this. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. That is my life verse. So these are our life verses. And in these verses, we find very deep meaning. When I am reminded of where the Lord brought me from and where the Lord wants to take me, I go to this verse in my mind. When I have opportunity to speak, I try always, if it's elsewhere, to fit my verse in somewhere. So that's the first one. Find a life verse. Ask the Lord to help you with that if you don't have one. Then number two. So find a life verse, number one. Number two, what comes naturally to you in the things that you do? in the work that you do? What comes naturally? Where do you find the most joy? What would you do if you could do one thing for eight hours every day? Now, the reason that I, this resonated with me is this. I have done a lot of jobs in the church. I've cleaned the toilet, I've swept the floor, I've sang, I've played the piano. I've never played the drums, and we're all glad. I'm trying to think of other things. I've done a lot. I mean, I was a PK, missionary kid. I've done some things I can't, I would gross you out. <laughs> but I've done a lot. But I know that when I am, whether one-on-one -on -one or in a crowd, teaching and helping someone heal through the word of God, that I am fulfilling my purpose. I know that. Now, this would terrify a lot of people. To stand up here and have to talk to a crowd or even just to sit behind a desk and talk to two people, that's terrifying to some people. But for me, it is my purpose. For some of you, when I ask, what thing do you like to do? What could you do for eight hours? What brings you the most joy? For some of you, you thought of music. For some of you, you thought of creating. For some of you, you thought organizing. For some of you, you thought cooking. Some of you thought sleeping, but I don't think that works out. <laughs> I don't think that one works. <laughs> Rest in the Lord. It's your calling. <laughs> oh, I'm going to run out of time. It's all my jokes. Okay. So you have to take number one and number two, and you have to pair them together and see where the intersection happens. Okay. So what comes naturally? What is your life first? It just calls out to you. It just speaks to you. And you think of it when you think of yourself and the word of God together. And then what comes naturally and in what do you find joy? And you pair those things together. 
And how do they work together? And they do. I will get to the end and you will see. You will find that they will pair. So number three is this. What brings your soul fulfillment? And that is like the best way I could possibly put it. When someone sees the light of the word of God and it was the the Lord allowing me to speak it, my soul has fulfillment. Now this is not what brings your ego fulfillment. And there is a difference between your soul and your ego. So I'm gonna quickly go through this. Your ego literally means yourself. And it is literally translated from the word that is I in the Bible, as in I, 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 ego, I. So it's, it's not a bad word and it's needed for the English language, but this I or this ego, it's our temporary self. It's this flesh, this mind, these emotions, these are temporary parts of me, parts that will not be in eternity. I will have a glorified body. My mind will be not the same, I hope, in Jesus' name, right? My emotions won't be the same in my eternity, okay? Because there's not going to be any tears, so my emotions will definitely not be the same. But my soul, that is the eternal part of me. We find a very interesting snippet of a story in 3 John 1, verses 1 and 2, and it says, The elder unto the well-beloved, and John is saying, I'm writing to you, Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And he says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So he is saying to Gaius, your soul is prospering even if your body is weak and failing. There is a difference. There is a difference. Do you know that even if your body is not prospering, your soul can? We just read that. So there is a difference between this ego, this I, and our soul. Here's some other indicators, and, and it's important for us to understand. The fulfillment that we are seeking in the Lord and in our calling, it's a soul fulfillment, not an ego or an I fulfillment, because our ego seeks to sell, serve ourself, but our soul seeks to serve others. Our ego seeks outward recognition, but our soul desires that the Lord would be glorified. Our ego sees life as a competition, but our soul sees life as a gift. Our ego seeks to self-preserve, but our soul seeks to preserve others. Ego looks outward, soul looks inward. Ego feels lack and soul feels abundance. Ego is me, but soul is we. So when you're seeking out a, your calling, one good indicator of soul fulfillment is that what you are doing creates a life change in those that you are serving. So your your life might not be changed while you're serving, but the people that you are serving, they will be changed as you are fulfilling your calling. Things are going to happen in those that you are serving. So we've got What's your life verse? What comes naturally to you? What brings you your soul fulfillment? And when do you get the greatest sense that you have pleased God? When do you get the greatest sense that you have pleased God? And isn't that a great feeling? We have, I gotta go quick, no stories. (laughs) I'm okay, I got a minute. It's, y'all know who know we have this dog and she just looks at us like we're the best thing that ever happened. 
But the look in her eyes, I, that's how I feel when the Lord is pleased with me. That somebody who has the power of life and death over me chooses life. Just this, he's pleased with me. I can't believe he's pleased with me that I did something that would be pleasing to him. Now, some of you have calculated this up. Maybe you knew all the answers. Maybe you're still looking for the answers. Or maybe you think you know what your calling is, and you're thinking to yourself, I can't do what God's called me to do right now because of this season of life that I'm in. So how can you apply what we just talked about, those four steps, in the role and in the season that you are in right now? Because I do not believe that this is something that's meant to be dormant until the right time comes along. Because there'll never be a right time. It's never coming. It may seem that your role in life is not meeting up with your calling. It's not meeting up with your purpose. Maybe you feel that your role as a parent is keeping you from fulfilling your calling, or maybe it's working a certain job, or maybe it's your role as a child of adult parents. These are just some that I pulled out that seem to be major things as I've worked for the Lord these last several years. But how can we in these difficult seasons do what is fulfilling right now in the place that we're in, do what we are called to do personally? Each role that we are in, each season that we are in, has a place for our purpose, for that fulfillment of our soul. We have to practice right now what we are called to do, what we know that we are made for right now in this moment. We have to practice that in whatever way that we can. We have to facilitate it. We have to prepare ourselves for what God is calling us to do. Can I tell you that when I first, I will never forget the first time I started teaching a Bible study on my own. And it was to a group of women at a women's abused women's shelter. And that is when I discovered I, I was, I was, this is what I was created to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I would go, and I was, my kids were small. I was very tired. I didn't want to go every time I went. Honestly, like every time I would knock on the door, I'd be like, maybe nobody's here. Every time. And every time somebody opened the door. <laughs> but when I would leave having fulfilled my calling, my soul was fulfilled. And I don't want you to be confused and think that we're the same. I can just give you the example of what it is for me. But for me, that was that, in that satisfaction of doing what God had called me to do. It didn't matter how tired I was. It didn't matter how stressed out I was. It didn't matter if there was one lady there or 20 ladies there. I felt fulfilled in my calling then. And what I didn't understand was how God was preparing me for what he would do later on in my life. I don't even, I know the name of one lady from that place. I've not seen any of them that I know of in 15 years. But in that, as insignificant as it might have seemed, rotating those ladies in and out all the time, I never had more than one or two weeks with most of them. God was preparing me. And I was preparing myself for what would later come. 
I'm going to read a few things to you. And these are some occupations that were in the New Testament of people who fulfilled a calling even in their occupation. And I think this is important because, again, I'm standing up here as the pastor's wife or I'm standing up here as a minister, but this is not just for the minister and this is not just for the pastor's wife, but God has a calling that's very specific to your life. And if we could understand this, we could strengthen the body of Christ. We could be prepared for what might come later, for what should come and will come later. Aquila and Priscilla, they were tent makers who offered partnership to the great apostle Paul. Martha was a cook and an entertainer who served our Lord and Savior. Timothy was a son and a grandson that followed until it was time for him to lead. Joseph was a carpenter who would build a life for Jesus and supply his needs in vulnerable years. Luke was a doctor who would explain the life of Jesus and the acts of the apostles in a way that even the most educated would love and understand, and yet those who were uneducated would understand it too. Elizabeth was a mother that would raise a son who would declare, behold the Lamb of God, and who would be brave enough and selfless enough to step down when Jesus came. Matthew was a tax collector who would prove that eternity was more valuable than money. And Dorcas was a seamstress who gave of her talents to clothe the poor. Lydia was a wealthy business owner who used her connections to further the work of the apostles. And the list could go on and on and on. And that is from the New Testament. We do this thing where we think people in the Bible could never understand where we're at now. They just, there's no answer for this situation or there's no answer for this situation or for this thing or for the way that I feel. But I am telling you right now, for whatever you are going through, there is verse and scripture to lead you through that. And there is purpose for you. There is calling for you. So I challenge you, I gave you four very simple things. They're not hard. And some of you may know exactly what it is. And some of you may know, you think you know. But I think that we owe it to the Lord and Savior to spend time enough to him that he would lead and guide us into what he wants us to do. Into how he wants us to serve him. I do not believe that it is the Lord's will for any of us to do only come to his church and that to come to the house, to sit here and to do nothing more. I just don't believe that's true. I just don't believe we can be soul fulfilled in that case. There is more for each of us to do. There is something more for you to do. And so what, what will it be? It's okay sometimes to fill a need just because it's a need. But I believe there is direction specifically for you and, an, and a way for you to find what it is that God is calling you to do. It's very simple, but I am a witness that it is a powerful thing when you can find what it is that God has called you to, specifically you. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for your people, and I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would seek out and find what it is that you have called us to. Lord, I believe that you have a calling for each one of these people, that you have something that you want them to do. 
I pray, oh God, that your hand would rest upon them. Lord, that they would not think themselves too busy for the work of the Lord, but that they would see openings in their schedule, that things would begin to happen, oh God, that they would have opportunities to serve you, and that they would feel that fulfilling purpose in their soul, Lord God. Lord, that they would be led by your spirit in everything that they do, that you would minister to them and through them and help them, Lord God, to follow after you, Jesus. We glorify and we we love you, God. We give you all praise and all glory. We want our lives to glorify you in Jesus' name. I just want to say that as you discover and realize through what it is that God is calling you to do, it will never contradict the word of God. It will never contradict the word. And I also do not believe that it will contradict authority God has placed in your life. And that sometimes seems very difficult. But God blesses us when we submit to his word and when we submit to those that he has placed over us. And I'm thankful for that. He's been very good to me.